All right. Man. Wow. I mean, as you just picture this experience of Christmas, it's so powerful to celebrate together. It's so amazing to be together with family and friends and tell the story over and over again of the fact that God, our God, left heaven and came to earth and he did it in the form of a child. He did it in the form of a baby, a way that no one would ever expect, but a way that is so powerful that 2,000 years later, we're still telling the story of Jesus's birth. It's amazing and we're calling this series that we're doing behold because our hope is that we would just kind of stop and soak in the moment of Christmas there's so much going on in our culture and our world and our society around this time of year and there's nothing wrong with that you know we pack it full of so much stuff and so our hope uh, during this Christmas season is especially for us here at H2O that on Sundays we would just take a minute to stop and behold and soak in the power of the story it can become so familiar that we can almost forget about how amazing it truly is that God left heaven and came to earth for us. And so uh, throughout this series, we're telling the story from different perspectives, different uh, angles that people that were there during the Christmas experience, that first Christmas experience, might have been part of. And so uh, we've been talking about it from the angle of the, the shepherds. We're talking about it from the, the, the perspective of Joseph and Mary. And today specifically, we're talking about the Christmas story through the eyes of the royalty that was involved. You heard Sean read the Christmas story and you know that there were a couple different sets of royalty. There were these three kings, these three wise men, and there was another king, King Herod. And throughout this message, we're going to talk about the two very different ways that these sets of royalty approached the coming of Jesus to this earth. And so as we think about that topic, as we think about that reality of viewing the Christmas story through the eyes of the royalty that was involved, I think it's interesting to note that we as humanity we're kind of fascinated by the idea of royalty, aren't we? We're, we're, we're fascinated by it, and, and we're drawn to stories of royalty. And some of us may say, no, no, you know, that's not me. You know, we're, we're Americans. We're red-blooded Americans, many of us here at least. And so we rebelled against the king. We rebelled against royalty a long time ago. We have things figured out, and, and we're not even that interested in royalty. But actually, that's not true. If you think about it, the stories that we tell, many of them, they revolve around royalty. Think about stories uh, like Robin Hood. Think about stories like Lord of the Rings. And, and, and some of us love Lord of the Rings, apparently, you know? Think about the, the, the reality of the, the athletes or the people that we put up almost on pedestals. We call LeBron James King James, you know, because we're, we're, we're just enthralled with his greatness. And so we're drawn to royalty. Or maybe some of us, none of us would ever admit this, but maybe some of us, we, we buy tabloids or we read these gossip websites and we know that, that Prince Harry is, just got engaged, okay? And so when, when a royal wedding comes around, we're drawn to it. It, it unites all of humanity uh, across the board, no matter what your race, no matter what your background is. We're all, at least to some extent, drawn and captivated by this idea of royalty. And if none of that convinces you, think of Disneyland, okay? Think of Disney World, okay? Because I'm not a hater of Disney at all. Um, I, I've been there a couple different times. But when you really think about what Disney is, this thing that many of us will spend thousands of dollars on, will do anything to get there, all it is is a bunch of pretend royalty, right? It's a bunch of people walking around dressed up as characters, as kings or queens. And, and there's this castle, this iconic castle. But guess what? It's fake. It's not real, right? 
right? But, but we're so enthralled by it. I actually had this experience. Um, my, my parents, uh, they, they took us to Disney this last uh, summer, and we only got one day at Magic Kingdom, okay? And so we were trying to pack as much as humanly possible into our one day at Magic Kingdom. It was the last week in July. It was the hottest week, you know, of the year down in Florida, and it was the busiest week of the year at Disney, and that's the day that we chose to go to Disney. And so we're at Magic Kingdom, and uh, we get there before the park opens because we only have one day. We decide we're going to pack as much as we can into this experience. And so we get there, and we had it all plotted out how we're going to go through the experience, how we're going to get our money's worth, like that's possible, at Disney. And, uh, and so we... We, we, you know, we figured out where we we're going to eat, what rides we we're going to do. We got the fast pass. We did all these different things. And as I was, you know, walking around Disney, it was just amazing that there would be grown men, you know, men in their 50s or 60s that would, like, throw elbows at kids in order to see a fake princess or king, you know. And so... We went through the whole day, and uh, we, we wanted to see the, the fireworks and the laser light show at the end of the day. If you've never been there, they have this really cool fireworks and laser light show uh, right in front of the, the fake castle. And so uh, we went on this log ride, and we were, we were running late. We got there, and, and we literally, we came up. It was just getting dark, and the place was packed. Thousands and thousands of people just sitting in front of this castle and just kind of in awe of the moment and soaking it in. And so here's how my mind works. I see thousands and thousands of people in one place. It was a long day. We're really tired. My mind starts going, okay, how do we get out of here as fast as possible, you know? So I'm starting to make my exit plan. I'm starting to figure out how can, you know, what's the angle that we can take to get out of here the fastest? How can we cut this person off? You know, how can we get out to the car as quick as we can because everybody was tired and grumpy. But as I was sitting there looking around thinking of how to get out of there, my wife, she kind of nudges me. She says, hey, are you watching this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to get out of here, you know? She's like, no, no, are you watching this? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll watch it. And so I kind of look up, and she whispers over to me in this kind of moment that, that I won't forget uh, in, in the near future. And she says, isn't this amazing? I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And she's like, no, I'm not just talking about the, the lights and the fireworks. She's like, look at the people. Everybody is just fixated on this. And she said, we were made to worship, weren't we? She's like, we were made to worship. That's what all these people are longing for. And I thought, man, she's so right. My wife, she's, she's more spiritual than me. She took in that moment, and she realized, she was pointed to the fact that this Disney experience that we were having was pointing to a greater reality that every single one of us is made to worship a true king. And that's why grown men would sit there and maybe shed a tear as they're watching these fireworks go off in front of this castle that's not even real. Because inside of our hearts, deep down, we're longing for something. We're longing for that real king, that good king that we know exists. And so we make up stories and, and, and we tell things to, our, to ourselves because we're longing for something greater. And see, Christmas it's the, the celebration, it's the reality that Jesus is that true king that we're longing for. In fact, that's the big idea that we want to talk about together today. The big idea is this, Jesus is king. And the question that we're going to wrestle with and try to answer today is how will we respond? 
Okay, so, so Jesus is king. That's what we believe wholeheartedly here at H2O. We believe that there is a real king, and that's why we long for the stories of royalty, that one true good king coming back to save us, because there is a reality that that is true and real, and Jesus is that real king. The question then becomes, how do we respond? Because no matter what, we cannot change the fact that Jesus is king, so we can change our hearts and our response to what he has done for us. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story. Sean read a lot of it. We're going to rediscover a little bit of it, uh, and we're going to look at it through the eyes of these two sets of royalty. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read a little bit of what was already read, and we're going to kind of hash it out a little bit. Matthew chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star and it rose and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, and he will shepherd my people. You see, as we start off reading this first part of the Christmas story, we see these two sets of royalty. We see King Herod. We see the three kings from afar. And we see two very different responses. First, we look at the three kings. Now, it's actually interesting. I keep saying three kings, but if you've ever really kind of dug into the Christmas story, we, it actually never says that there's three magi or three kings. We don't know how many there actually were. We assume that there are three because they gave three gifts, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. And we don't know exactly where they're, they're from. It says they're from somewhere off in the east. We assume that they came from a long distance because it took them a, a pretty good amount of time to travel and to find Jesus. So here's the thing. We don't know much about these three kings, honestly, but we do know this. They wanted to worship the true king, Jesus. In fact, they went to some pretty major extents to worship the true king, Jesus. And so even though they weren't Jewish, which Jesus came into a, a Jewish area, and so they were actually waiting for a king, these three kings were from a, a distant land. They weren't in that area that was waiting for a king, but they saw this star, and they came. They dropped everything, and they came. It tells us something about their hearts. And then the second set of royalty is King Herod. What was King Herod's response? It says he was disturbed. He was disturbed. Now, Herod should have been the one that was excited. Herod had lived in this place that was prophesying about this coming king. He knew that there was a coming king, and yet it says he was disturbed. You see, the Magi were seeking the true king, and Herod was opposed to the true king. Those are the two extremes that we're going to talk about and wrestle with here today. So let's jump back in and see a little bit more in depth exactly how each of them do this. In verse 7, it says, King Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. Herod was lying he was setting in a trap, or at least trying to. In verse 9, it says, After that they had heard from the king, and they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented them to him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to that way towards Herod, they returned to their country via another route. See, these three kings, these three wise men, found Jesus and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they presented him with these gifts. Now, as we think about Christmas, we still kind of take note from that tradition that they started on that very first Christmas 2,000 years ago. We love to give gifts at Christmas time. It's so fun to do. Uh, I, I'm a parent. You know, I talk about my kids a lot. I have an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And as we think about Christmas, one of our favorite things to do as parents is to give our kids gifts. And we love watching their responses because it's so fun to see how they respond and especially you know each one of your kids is different you know they talk about these different love languages that the different kids respond to or different people and our middle son Sam he's a gifts guy you know he loves to receive gifts it's just something that that shows him how much we love him and so when uh, we were celebrating Christmas when he was five or six years old um, he really wanted this remote control truck and so we were like okay you know we're going to get him this remote control truck but we set it up like any good parent we we're like oh you know you're probably not going to get it you know so he wasn't expecting it, and so we, we gave him this gift, and he's opening it up. He's a little five-year-old Sam. He's opening it up, and all of a sudden, he realizes it's a remote control truck that he wanted, and he could not literally contain himself. He's only five. He didn't even know how to express his emotions, and so he just starts freaking out, and he's like screaming and just looking at the truck. He's like, ah, and he slams it down on the ground, and he starts running around the room. Like, that's the only thing he could do because he was so excited, and then we played with it twice, and then it's probably sitting on a shelf collecting dust somewhere you know that's what happens oftentimes with our gifts but there's something so fun about blessing people that we love with gifts but the gifts that really matter most if you think about it are the gifts that have meaning right the gifts that, that really matter most to us in life are gifts that actually have some type of some significance and these three kings they brought gifts that meant something each one of these gifts represented something. There's these three gifts. The first one was gold. And gold, especially during that time, gold was fit for royalty. You know, kings and queens during that time, they would adore their palaces with gold and precious metals and silver. And so the gold signified that Jesus, this little baby, laying in a humble manger, not sitting in a palace somewhere, but laying in, in a stall of a manger, or a barn, was actually a king. And so they gave him gold. Secondly, they gave him frankincense. We're like, frankincense, what in the world is that? Frankincense was this, this incense, or this, this incense that priests would burn in the temple. And so frankincense was a gift signifying that Jesus was not only king, but he also is the ultimate high priest. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is the perfect high priest who went through heavens and has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So gold represented his royalty. Frankincense represented the spiritual impact of Jesus, God, leaving heaven and coming to earth. And then he, they gave him myrrh. Now myrrh is a really... Interesting gift, if you don't know what it is. Myrrh is a gift for the dead. Myrrh is like this oil that they would anoint dead bodies with. 
Maybe like formaldehyde for us nowadays. And so these three kings give this baby an oil for the dead. It had meaning. See, they were implying to us, they were telling us, they were prophesying to us that this king would actually go to die for every single one of us. And as we sang that song here today, I think it is so powerful for us to reflect on the fact that our king loved us so much to leave heaven and come here to die for us, but not just to stay dead, to raise from the dead, to prove that he actually is the only real king that deserves our worship. See, the wise men dropped everything to worship this true king. There was nothing that would stop them from coming to see him. And I wonder if that's how we respond. When we hear the good news of the gospel and we say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to bow down before you because you are king and I am not. That was their example to us. And then let's finally and lastly look at this other king and how he responded. King Herod, verse 13, says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and this is what he did. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. You see, the three kings, they dropped everything to worship Jesus. Herod tries to grab control of the situation because he was disturbed. He was threatened that there was another king in town. And not only that, a greater king than him. And Herod said, I'm going to do anything I possibly can to keep my power, to keep my control, because I kind of like the system that I have set up right now. In fact, it's working for me. I'm at the top of the food chain. And so the fact that there might be this other king, I have to do anything to get rid of him. And so he actually kills every single baby boy in that town under two years old. A horrible, hideous act that we know from history is true. And as we think about that, we think about what extent this man went to to keep control of his little kingdom. It's sickening, isn't it? It's saddening to think that he would go that far. But he felt like he had to to keep control. And I wonder, I just wonder if some of us, we kind of have some of the same type of feelings. Of course, we would never go to that extent, you know. Of course, we would never do anything that wicked or, or, or horrible. But I wonder if any of us struggle with grabbing control of what God has blessed us with. I wonder if some of us struggle with the the blessing that God's given us or the opportunity that God's given us and we fall in love so much with the blessings or the opportunities that we actually start to worship them rather than the true king, Jesus. See, I wonder if Herod's not all that much different than some of us, than myself. 
than many of us because he felt like he couldn't lose control. You know, here's the interesting thing about control. I know from talking with a lot of us, a lot of us struggle with that. I know for myself, I can struggle with being like a control freak sometimes. But here's the reality. Control is just an illusion, right? From a, from a human standpoint, control is just an illusion because we are so small, so finite and ca- compared to everything that goes on into this world. And so it really is an illusion. And here's the even more interesting thing. King Herod, he thought he was so great. He thought he was so powerful. He thought he was so smart. He could even outsmart God. And so he tries to kill all these babies to keep his own power. Well, guess what? Just a few short years later, Herod dies. And what would Jesus do? He would go on to live forever. Yes, he went to the cross. Yes, he died for us, but he rose again, and he still is alive to this very day. And so Herod, his, tro- his, his plan to try to control things really backfired and only proved the divinity and the royalty of Jesus himself. See, this Christmas, I want us to, to ask this question, who are we really worshiping? And who truly is king of our lives? If we're just honest, maybe you don't even have to be honest with anybody else right now. If you're just honest with yourself in your own heart, who truly is king of your life? And the way that we answer that is asking, who do we worship? Do we worship Jesus, the one true king, or do we worship ourselves, our our own plans, our own dreams? Do we worship the, the blessings that God has given us? You see, as we come to this Christmas, some of us are asking the question, how in the world do I actually change to follow this one true king? Because maybe we're here and we're saying, I want to do that, but I'm not even sure how. Yeah, as I sit here on this Christmas day, I want to be able to actually worship Jesus, but how? Well, Tim Keller says this, He says, how do you change your behavior? You change what you worship. And so I think it is as simple as recognizing and confessing that Jesus, yes, you are the one true king, and I'm going to release control. I'm going to hand my life, everything I have, over to you and say it's yours. It's yours to do with what you please. And in doing that, We worship the one true king and we start to change. The way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we live changes as we release control and worship the one true king, and that is Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We do this every Christmas. It's a tradition of ours here at H2O. We're going to take a moment and just give everybody in the room a chance to respond to that because we feel like the message of the gospel the hope, the good news of Jesus that we can actually release control of our lives and let him be king is so powerful that it demands a response. And some of us here in this room, we've responded to that. And some of us have said, yes, God, I want to give you my life. And others of us, we've been wrestling with that question. And so we want to give you a chance today to respond. Of course, there's no pressure. There's no obligation. But here in a minute, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to invite you, if you're wrestling with that, And you want to say, God, today's the day that I want to give you my life, that I want to give you control, that I want to hand it over to you. I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer along with me and respond to that. And then we're going to worship. We're going to sing to Jesus for what he's done. So I'm going to ask everybody to to bow their heads and close their eyes.